Are you ready to take your intermittent fasting lifestyle to the next level? There's nothing better than community to help with that. In the Delay Don't Deny community, we all embrace the clean fast, and there's just the right support for you as you live your intermittent fasting lifestyle. You can connect directly with me in the Ask Jen group, and I'll answer all of your questions personally. If you're new to intermittent fasting or recommitting to the intermittent fasting lifestyle, join the 28-Day Fast Start group. After your fast start, join us for support in the first-year group. Need tips for long-term maintenance? We have a place for that. There are many more useful spaces beyond these, and you can interact in as many as you like. Visit jenstevens.com community to join us. An annual membership costs just over a dollar a week when you do the math. If you aren't ready to fully commit for a year, join for a month, and you can cancel at any time. If you know you'll want to stay forever, we also have a lifetime membership option available. IF is free. You don't need to join our community to fast. But if you're looking for support from a community of like-minded intermittent fasters, we're here for you at jenstevens.com community. That's jenstevens.com community. Achieving my long-term goals is more about creating healthy habits and less about quick fixes. And that's why I love both intermittent fasting and daily harvest. Tim Spector, a gut health expert and founder of Zoe, and Dr. B, gastroenterologist and author of Fiber Fueled, recommend that you aim for at least 30 unique plant foods per week. Daily Harvest helps make it easy. One of my favorite options is the sweet potato and wild rice hash harvest bowl. With Daily Harvest, I'm getting tons of plant-based options built on organic fruits and vegetables that are easy to prep and free of weird ingredients such as fillers, seed oils, and added sugars. Create healthy habits that last with Daily Harvest. For a limited time only, go to dailyharvest.com ifstories to get $30 off your first box plus free shipping. That's dailyharvest.com ifstories for $30 off your first box and free shipping. Daily harvest.com slash is stories. Welcome to Intermittent Fasting Stories. I'm your host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. I lost over 80 pounds thanks to intermittent fasting after learning how to delay my eating rather than deny myself the delicious foods I want to eat. Now, who's ready to hear an inspirational intermittent fasting story? That's why we're here. So let's get excited to talk to today's guest. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 16 of Intermittent Fasting Stories. Today, I'm here with Amy Belke, and Amy is from Northern California, where she has been a middle school teacher for 19 years. Welcome, Amy. Hi, Jen. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to talk to you today. Well, I've been looking forward to talking to you as well because you have a story that I think it's going to tug at heartstrings, I think, a little bit. Before we get into your whole story, let's talk about what brought you to intermittent fasting. Okay. I'm 41, just turned 41 this year in October, and I really never struggled much with my weight. I could kind of eat whatever through about the time I turned maybe 35 or so, and then things started getting a little harder. And my husband and I both love food and we love to eat. We love to cook and even grocery shop. We like to, you know, go pick out our ingredients and cook really good 
things. My husband, on the other hand, struggles a lot with his weight. And I think we're finding now he's got some pretty severe insulin resistance issues now that we've learned about what's going on. (laughs) So he's always had a struggle. And we both have gone through periods of time of losing weight, but we never really were synced up at the same time. Like I would be doing a healthy eating or fitness program and or he would be doing something and I wasn't. And last March, I kind of had a bit of an epiphany where I had turned 40 that year in October. And I had reached a point in my life where I had my dream career. I'm teaching at an amazing little charter middle school in a beautiful little town. And I have a family we have two sons and we live in a beautiful little home in a wonderful neighborhood. And I just realized I've worked for 40 years to get to this point, to build this marriage, to build this life. And we just need to enjoy it. But our health wasn't on par with that. You know, emotionally we were there and our marriage was there, our family, our careers. He's a sheriff's sergeant in a local jail. So he works really hard too. So I just decided I need to start fixing this last piece, which is my health and my fitness. And I had gotten to the point where I weighed 199 pounds and I'm five foot nine. So I wasn't, you know, in the real obese category, but I had never been that big and I did not want to see 200 pounds on the scale. (laughs) So I just made a decision I need to fix this. So I started just eating more whole foods and working out. It took me a couple months, but I lost about 10 pounds that way very slowly, but I started feeling better getting more fit. In the meantime, my husband had done a lot of reading and he started reading Jason Fung's book, The Obesity Code. That's my husband, Jason also. And he started quietly toying with intermittent fasting. And he didn't want to say much to me because he knew I'd be skeptical. And so he didn't say much, but he sort of started doing it on his own. We have really different schedules because of his job working crazy hours. And he lost, I think he lost like 10 pounds in the first week or something. And so, yeah, we started talking about it a little bit and he was really hesitant to tell me because I said he knew I'd be a skeptic and I was. And my concern for him was nutrition because he doesn't eat as whole foods as I do. And I was concerned that he doesn't eat that well in his eating window. And I was afraid he wasn't getting enough nutrition and nutrients. And he ended up showing me a YouTube video from Jason Fung that described that refrigerator effect, you know, where you're storing the fat away. And that just really clicked for me and it made sense. And I thought, you know what? Okay. My husband's incredibly intelligent. He doesn't do anything without doing a lot of research and he's not a dieter. You know, he doesn't really believe in the whole diet mentality at all. He really understood the science behind it. And I thought, okay, I'm going to give this a try. Plus it was summer vacation for me. So for me to toy with something like that is better during summer break than during school, as you know. Oh, yes. So this was in, I say, late June. I started doing intermittent fasting by cutting out breakfast, which was a big deal for me. I'm a huge breakfast lover. I always had eggs and toast for breakfast every day. And if I didn't, I would be having a hard time functioning. (laughs) And then at school, we had break at 1045. I always had a snack and it was always almonds or, you know, something healthy. But if I didn't have it, I was really having a hard time, both emotionally and just sort of, I would feel really frazzled, I guess, if I didn't eat something. So I cut those out in the summer. It was easier to do that. And I will say I struggled. It took me three days and I was not a pleasant person in those three days. I was oh, yeah. <laughs> pretty crabby and pretty um, on edge. And um, I would eat around noon at the first transitional part when I started doing the intermittent fasting. I was never a real late in the evening eater. So I'd eat till maybe seven or so or eight in the evening. So I guess I was doing 16, eight to start. And we went on a little vacation to our hometown where we grew up. And during that vacation, I was able to just continue with that and not eat breakfast every day and eat from noon to eight-ish. And it was working out. And so by the time I got back from the vacation, I think I had started adjusting and, and doing better. So that was how I started with intermittent fasting. 
That's great. So you were really able to keep with it over that vacation. How long after you started was the vacation? It was like, like three days later or something. I actually met with a group of people this morning that are are doing Delay, Don't Deny. We met for coffee. And one of the ladies in the group said she started on Christmas Day. Oh, my gosh. And I was like, that's pretty amazing. She just started on Christmas Day and had a, a shorter eating window. She's like, it didn't even bother me. Yeah. I'm like, you were the prize. Starting intermittent fasting on Christmas Day. Exactly. Yeah, that, that's a tough one. <laughs> started on right before a vacation. And so a lot of us worry we can't do it through holidays, can't do it through vacations, but y'all showed us we can. Yeah. And I was, I mean, even in the beginning, I was like good about giving myself grace. Like I think one of the days on that vacation, I had a breakfast burrito in the morning or something. I just woke up and I felt I was having a little headache or something. I was like, I want to eat. And so I did. And then the next day I just didn't and it was fine. And I realized at that point that how flexible this is and how flexible this can be. And that's why I think it's really working for both my husband and I. And he's been highly successful. He has to restrict a bit more than I do as far as the carbs and sugar goes. He really realizes that if he cuts out carbs and sugar during his eating window, he's losing weight much, much more quickly and feeling better. And I really can eat anything I'm finding. I think once he gets to maintenance, he'll be able to add some of those things back. But right now he's still losing. I think he started in June. He's lost about 80 pounds. Wow. I know. That's amazing. It's amazing. And he was had very high blood pressure and had some borderline diabetes issues and things. And he's none of that. None of that is happening anymore. See, I think that you made a very important point. Because he had so much weight to lose yeah. and he had struggled with it more than you had, longer than you had. Right. You mentioned he likely had more insulin resistance. And so those are the people who do respond well to restricting the the carbs and the sugar. And of course, he read the obesity code, so he understands why. Exactly. That that's a good strategy for him. But you also made a great point when you said he will likely be able to add those things back in. I think he will when he gets to maintenance. He's going to have to be careful and not overdo it, you know. And like I said, emotional eating is a thing for us. He deals with a lot of trauma in his job and we celebrate with food and when we're relaxing, we have food. I'm a home brewer. I love beer. So we live in a a town where Sierra Nevada is made, you know, the beer company. And so we love to eat and drink and, you know, have a good time. And, you know, he needs to watch that a little bit. And so not letting it get out of control, but kind of monitoring it and adding it back in will be fine, I think. So how much more does he have to go before he feels like he'll be at a really good, healthy weight for him? It's interesting. He started at 310 and he was very big. We've seen pictures recently that we're like, wow, when we see him and he's at 230 now. And so he doesn't know. I mean, he's saying 200, maybe 30 more pounds, but we'll just see because he hasn't been that size since high school. <laughs> we were high school sweethearts. We've dated since I was oh, I love that. years old, you know, grew up in a real small town together. And I've lost 40 pounds, which is amazing because I didn't realize I had that much to lose, but <laughs> feels like a lot now. I'm wearing jeans I had no clue I could fit into. <laughs> so Were they jeans that you had like kept aside for one day you'd fit back into them or, or new jeans? Oh, no. I couldn't fit this size for a very long time. <laughs> you know, after having kids and just body composition changes in my 30s, I just sort of got rid of everything. I was into, I was wearing usually, my usual size was like a 12, but then in the last few years, I've gotten into a 14 and even sometimes a 16. And that's when I was like, this is not me. This is not who I am. You know, I think about eight years ago, I had gained a bit of weight, gotten the 190s. And then I lost it again by running and doing calorie restriction. And I got really fit. But then the minute I stopped that, I couldn't maintain that lifestyle. Just running's too hard on my body and on my knees and my feet and stuff. And I just 
I don't have very much time, to be honest, <laughs> being a teacher and having two boys. I couldn't maintain it. And then I put back the weight on plus more. And that's when I got up to the 199. I think a lot of us have similar stories to that. If you work so hard that your only focus was diet and exercise, you could get yourself down somewhere. But the minute you're like, all right, now I'm just going to live my life again, yeah, it yo-yos back up because it's just not sustainable. You know, when I was a teacher, same as you, two boys, teacher, I know that I could have gotten up at four in the morning and gone to the gym. Right. Teaching and being in a marriage with somebody who has a very difficult job that deals with trauma a lot, we have to give a lot of ourselves. And I can't get up at four in the morning and do that. I need to have some rest, (laughs) some sanity. I really believe that you've got to let your mind and body and soul rest. And if I'm going to be doing that, you know, at my wits end, I can't sustain it. Yeah, I think that's true. It is a very mentally engaging job where you are just, quote, on. Exactly. You know, all day long, you know, you might have a break here and there to run to the restroom or maybe we have duty-free lunch in Georgia. So we would have some time, but still you're always like looking at the clock and where do I need to be? And your time is not your own. And when you're in the classroom or at recess with the kids or whatever, every bit of you is being dedicated to connecting with the kids and meeting their needs. And then at home with my two sons, they're currently 12 and 14. Same thing's happening here. And then, like I said, our marriage, we both have jobs that are emotionally draining and there's only so much to give. Running did not deserve a piece of it. Yeah. And I just could not fit in working out. And I resented every time that I thought I should go do those things, but I couldn't carve out the time to do it. You know, now that I'm retired from teaching, I'm going to Pilates, you know, a couple days a week. And I love yoga and I love doing light exercise. You know, I use an online site that's free and they YouTube videos and things. I just work out in my own living room. But right now I'm not. I just have too much going on and I need to make the decision to be able to exercise when I want to and when I can. But I can't live a life where I have to exercise to keep the weight off. I did not exercise the whole way through my weight loss journey while I was losing weight. And I'm really doing it now just because I realized I was pretty active as a teacher. Exactly. And now I'm not. (laughs) So I was like, I got to get out of the house and and be amongst the people. And it feels good to move my body. But it's both of those things for me. But teaching really is a physical job. So when I say I didn't exercise. Yeah. We don't don't sit much during teaching. (laughs) Right. You're up and down the halls. You're at recess duty, bus duty. You're walking around. And just in the classroom, I'm walking around constantly. Yeah. Like I wore an Apple Watch for a while. I now no longer wear a watch at all. But when I was wearing my Apple Watch, the number of steps, I mean, I usually would hit 10,000 steps. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Easily. You just walk in circles around your classroom all day. (laughs) Yeah. Just at work, 10,000 steps. So when I say I didn't exercise, that's It was just, you know, the motion of a day. Right. And so for me, the summer break was important. It was really good that this started for me on summer break because of what you're talking about, just the amount of energy and effort that teaching takes. And I'm not sure I would have had like quite the open mind to dive in and let my body truly adjust. The summer was great for that. Part of it was that I didn't know about clean fasting during the summer when I started in June. I was still drinking whole cream in my coffee and I was consuming flavored seltzer water during my fast. But when I read Delay Don't Deny, I think I read it in August. I read it really quickly in like two or three days and I thought, oh, this will be a repeat of things I've already read, but it really wasn't. And I loved it because the way you wrote it is very much like a conversation. It's very approachable and easy to read and understand and everything just really clicked at that point. I think I found your Facebook groups first and then read the book, ordered the book and read it. And when I started clean fasting right at the start of school, 
it really helped a lot. It really helped me feel better during my fast and it helped me trim the hours of my fast down. I'll talk later about the event that happened on November 8th, but before November 8th, I was fasting typically about 21 hours, eating three or so, you know, flexible in that time. And I think I was able to get to that from 16 to eight because of clean fasting. That really helped. So explain how you felt different when you made that switch to clean fasting, because a lot of people, you know, do struggle with that. We've been trained our whole lives that eat less, move more, right. and it's all about the calories. So of course, you know, when you're fasting, people think you're just only benefiting from calorie restriction. Right. But we know from reading Jason Fung's work and the work of others that it's so much more than just the calories that you eat. So how did going to the clean fast where you were just at that point, I guess, just having black coffee and and plain and unflavored waters, how did that shift things for you? Well, it shifted things in that actually it was like kind of an emotional mental shift. Like before there was all these sort of rules in my head about what I could and couldn't have during the fast. And then when I shifted, it's just, no, it's just water and coffee. I do like tea. So a little bit of black tea. I typically like Earl Grey or Constant Comet, but those are flavored. So it was just black and white in my mind. When I'm fasting, it's water and black coffee. And when I'm not fasting, it's whatever I want. And so emotionally, it helped me break the hurdle there. But also, I think it did help with my hunger. It's hard to pinpoint because I switched very quickly. I was consuming those things and then I just wasn't. And it was also during the time when I went from summer break to school. <laughs> so a lot was changing in my life and my body and my patterns. But I noticed I was able to go longer. And like I said, I think it's because I just, in my mind, I wasn't consuming anything but water and black coffee during those hours. And then when I got home, I would just eat after school. And I lived about 30 minutes away from my school. So I wasn't getting home till like 4, 4.30. Started pushing my window way back from during the summer from noon and then the beginning of school, I was having a snack around two and breaking my fast, but that's a hard time to eat at school. <laughs> we teach till 3.15 and I don't have time to stop and have a break. And so I just quit doing that and then pushed my window back further. Like I said, I think the clean fast, it was it was more mental than anything. It was just, hey, I don't need to eat anything during this time and made it less complicated. That's good. Yeah. A lot of teachers say the same thing. I know some teachers who would have like an afternoon planning period. And so they would open their window with the snack at that right. point. If, if you have that, but you know, a lot of us don't <laughs> or didn't and you can't, sorry, kids, I'm going to have a snack now. Food now. Yeah, no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but for me, same thing. I would wait till I would get home from school and open my window with the snack there. And that just became my pattern. I would walk through the right. door, have my snack later would have my dinner. What's really funny is once I retired, I lost that walk through the door time for snack. Right. So I would like find myself looking up and hadn't remembered to have a snack. <laughs> right. One thing that was big is I stopped bringing any food with me to school. I was too busy and I realized, look, I don't need to eat immediately at three o'clock. I can wait until I get home. And it was just easier to wait. And then that was a really powerful moment for me to realize I have control over this. <laughs> this is not my body telling me what to do. It's me deciding when I get to eat and when I want to eat and I don't want to bring anything with me to school. And so then I didn't really have the option to eat. We don't keep a lot of food around school and whatever's there I don't really want. So I would just wait till I got home. And, and it was nice not having anything in my bag to snack on because I didn't need that. Yeah, that's a really good point. I'm the same way. I didn't want to carry food with me. You know, I joke and delay don't deny that it's the perfect plan for someone who's too lazy to pack a bunch of food. There's freedom. You don't have to scrounge around. What am I going to take? What am I going to have? make sure I never ran out of coffee because I would <laughs> I had a Keurig in my classroom and I would brew a cup of coffee. I made sure I never ran out of my sparkling water that I enjoyed. But other than that, traveling light. <laughs> 
Yeah, I don't even bring that to school. I do have a little instant hot water teapot on my desk. And before I was doing intermittent fasting, I was drinking tea through the morning. And I just kind of quit doing that. And then it was funny when the weather started to change and get cooler, I started just making hot water and sipping on that. And it was just warmed my hands up and it warmed my stomach up. And it just, it really was soothing. I realize it's kind of a strange thing, but I've actually kind of started to enjoy just drinking hot water during the day, during lunchtime. Well, that's what I'm having right now. I have a mug of hot water. Oh, really? yeah, I drink that all the time in the cold weather. Yeah. I like the hot water. I had one of those that would heat up the water in my classroom too. And I would have hot water. I have a little Keurig, but I just haven't used it much at school. It's just a matter of, I just don't have time for that right now. So I haven't used it, but I've been drinking hot water and then a little bit of black tea at school, but mostly just, I have my cup of coffee in the morning. And another weird little thing I do with my coffee that I like, transitioning from having cream and stevia and things, I switch to black and I do a one quick little twist of Himalayan sea salt in it and it cuts the bitterness and it just makes it taste kind of smooth. It's, it's kind of weird, but I do enjoy that. I've heard that trick from people a lot that it helps them transition to liking the black coffee. So everybody try that. Put a little tiny bit of sea salt in there and see if that helps you. And I didn't like it because before I tried it, I had already adjusted to the black coffee. So when people are like, try the salt, I'm like, all right. And I was like, no, no, (laughs) no, thank you. (laughs) I like black coffee just the way it is as well. And I, I never did before, but I'm fine with it and I enjoy it. My husband drinks black coffee all day at work too. His schedule is interesting because he's changing schedules all the time. He works 12-hour shifts and it's always switching around. And so he currently eats his meal at 10 a.m. And so on the days when he's off, that's hard for us as a family because I don't eat till dinner. He eats at 10 a.m. But we end up just making it work. We just all shift a little earlier. He shifts a little later on those days. And it makes his fast a little longer on the beginning of his weekend and a little shorter on the end of his weekend. But as long as the end eating window stays fairly short and heats fairly clean in it, it seems all good to go. We can switch it around as we need for our family. So does he work nights sometimes yep, and days he's sometimes? he's changing all the time. Every uh, two months it changes from weekends to weekdays and every four months from nights to days and he's 12 hours. You know, that is also hard on the body. Very, very. And I think that's contributed to the stress he's gone through with his body, you know, dealing with that all the time. Because our bodies like to get into a rhythm. You know, we have our circadian rhythms. And when your body is constantly shaking it up because of your work schedule like his, that just can make your body very confused. It is. It's tough. And that's why I think on the day shift when he's eating at 10 a.m., that's another example of disturbing that rhythm kind of. You know, they all take their meal at 10 a.m. It's really odd. I'm not really sure why. I think it just works with the schedule of what they're doing there in the jail with the inmates and things. And so... Thank goodness for him. Thank him exactly. for his service for me because that is that is a tough, tough job. You know, teaching is hard, but I can't even right. imagine how hard it would be to be in a jail, especially. It's pretty rough. <laughs> so are any of his um, work colleagues doing intermittent fasting now? He's talked to several. He works, the age variation that he works with is vast, but he, he is working with a couple people he's been talking to about it. He, it's so funny because he lost so much weight so fast. A lot of people keep asking him if he got gastric bypass surgery because <laughs> it's it's a dramatic difference when you see him. He looks that dramatic and it's been that quick. And so he'll start telling them about what he's doing. And he he actually gave one of his colleagues your book recently. I gave it to him to give to her when you that sale happened on Amazon. I bought about three or four copies and right. sent one with him to send with her and Young people in the law enforcement, a lot of them do keto and CrossFit. So they're like real muscle builder people, right. you know. Keto to intermittent fasting is a pretty seamless transition, I'm finding. 
It's true because, you know, your body is running on ketones, whether you're doing intermittent fasting or keto. The difference is we get into ketosis with intermittent fasting because we're not eating anything. So our body has nothing to do but get into our fat stores. And with keto, they're eating a lot of fat. And so the body switches to ketosis to burn burn that fat and then also hopefully fat stores from the body. So yeah, it is, I think, a really good transition. A lot of his people he's talking to are struggling with weight, and I think a lot because of the schedule and the stress, and they're trying keto, and so this is a good transition for them to find some freedom from having to be so restrictive. Right. So how about your colleagues or any of them? No, I teach at a really small school, and I'm often hesitant to share what I'm doing much. I I just am never one to kind of push anything on people or sell anything to people, and so I haven't talked about it that much with them. And I teach with, actually, it's funny because usually women, teachers are women. I teach with a bunch of men. <laughs> I have one female teaching colleague and the rest are men. And so we don't talk about weight much. <laughs> I don't know. They have noticed that I've lost a lot of weight and become more fit and they're really happy for me. And they can see that I'm definitely more vibrant. And intermittent fasting is interesting because it's more than weight loss. It's really, it's allowed me to be much more just engaged in my life and uh, the positivity that it's brought to my life. And my grandma was a devout Catholic and she's no longer with us, but she always taught me about the power of positive intention and the energy you put out into the world and the universe is what comes back to you tenfold. And intermittent fasting is like that. It's like, because we have so much control over what we're doing in our mind and our body, I think it just, it frees up so much space for positive love and energy to come and go. And so that's what I think people have noticed more than anything, more than the weight loss even, is that I'm just more engaged and I'm more open to positive, good feelings and things like that. So when people ask me, what am I doing? I do tell them that I've just shortened the amount of time that I eat during the day. and But I haven't gotten into great detail with anybody about it much. That's interesting that you work with a lot of men. I did not at an elementary school and it was public, but we had PE coach, that you know, computer guy, that kind of thing. But I think men may be programmed not to mention weight to women. Definitely. This is really kind of a funny story. One of our PE coaches came up to me. This is after I had lost 75 pounds. <laughs> okay. That's not just a little bit, 75 pounds. He came up to me one day in the teacher's lounge and said, you know, please don't take this the wrong way, but have you lost some weight? (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, obvious. (laughs) I'm like, yeah. But it was just the way he said it was funny. And then I'm like, well, was he not sure or was was he just afraid to to mention it? So Probably trying to give you a compliment, but without (laughs) hurting your feelings at the same time. Maybe, maybe. We all face stress in our daily lives. What if the answer to a better stress response is in one key nutrient? I'm talking about magnesium and specifically magnesium breakthrough by by optimizers. This one-of-a-kind product is designed to reverse low levels of magnesium, which could have a positive effect on our stress response. But don't take my word for it. Here's a quote from a 2020 issue of the scientific journal Nutrients. Results suggest that stress could increase magnesium loss, causing a deficiency, and in turn, magnesium deficiency could enhance the body's susceptibility to stress, resulting in a magnesium and stress vicious circle. I only recommend Magnesium Breakthrough by Bioptimizers. It's the only organic full-spectrum magnesium supplement that includes seven unique forms of magnesium for stress resilience and better sleep. Simply go to bioptimizers.com slash ifstories, promo code ifstories10 to get your magnesium breakthrough and find out this month's gift with purchase. That's bioptimizers.com slash ifstories, promo code ifstories10. 
If you've been listening to my podcast for a while, you know what a fan I am of Dr. Tim Spector and the work he's doing with Zoe. I was first introduced to his work in 2015, and I've been following his research ever since. What I love most about the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast is that they have weekly interviews with world-leading experts who explain how their latest research can benefit your health. Recently, I was thrilled to finally meet him face-to-face as we recorded an episode for the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast, and this episode aired on on April 11th. We had a chance to talk about the world's biggest intermittent fasting study, and I had the opportunity to explain the clean fast to Jonathan, which may explain why he didn't enjoy his prior experiences with fasting. Search for Zoe Science and Nutrition on your podcast player or on YouTube to hear the latest episode, and don't forget to look for the April 11th episode to hear me, Tim, and Jonathan talk about the world's biggest intermittent fasting study. But I also want to talk about something you said after that about how intermittent fasting is so much more than weight loss and that it's opened you up to enjoy your life in a different way and engage in the world. And I, I think that so so many of us find that to be true. Yeah, I'm amazed by it. And on November 8th, I had been clean fasting since the start of school, so since August, but trying it out since June. So I, I had a good pattern going. I was very much in my routine. I'm not sure how much weight I'd lost by then, maybe 30 pounds or so. So I was feeling really good. And on November 8th, a major wildfire destroyed the entire community where I've been a teacher for the past 19 years. And it was a really scary day. And it was pretty much everybody I know and love lost their home and was traumatized, felt like they might die. And all of my students drove through flames, escaping the ridge. And I have 155 students at my school and all besides three, one of them's my own son, were displaced and 85% of them lost their homes that day. It was really a dramatic day, really awful. So so you did not lose your home? No, I did not. I did live in that town for 13 years, but we currently live in a nearby community. So no, we did not. 85% of your students lost their homes. Yeah, a few of them have homes standing, but it's one home with a half mile radius around it burned and there's, they're not going to be able to move back. The house will probably need to be rebuilt. So the 85% includes people who have homes standing that they're not going to be able to return to. So you did you have to escape through the flames as well? It was amazing. I did not. My son and I were delayed that day because on the freeway, our commute is about 25 minutes and there was this huge plume of smoke and all these people had fender benders on the freeway because they were all looking up at it. It was, it looked like an A-bomb had gone off. It happened very quickly. The fire was just a little spot fire at about, I don't know what time, 7 a.m. By 8 a.m., our entire community was in flames because the ash was just raining down around the whole town. And so by the time I got around the accidents on the freeway, I had called my principal and he said, do not come. It's a catastrophe. So it's a miracle. My son and I were spared that. My son is on the autism spectrum. He's high functioning, but it would have been extremely traumatic. I mean, my students literally drove four or five hours. It took them to get out some more with walls of flames on either side, watching homes burn. And it's amazing. Every single student from our entire school district made it out alive. We didn't lose anybody. Yeah, but there were 86 lives lost, mostly elderly people, because it moved very quickly. It started burning around 8.15 in town, and it got really bad between then and about 11 a.m. So people were up and at work, and kids had their backpacks, and so people weren't sleeping. <laughs> so that was really... Right. Oh, that's that's amazing. Now, were kids already at school and had to be evacuated from school? 
Yes. Yeah. So that's what I actually did. Our school starts a little later. So our principal was turning people away in the parking lot. And we had a few kids who had to get picked up. But our local high school and intermediate school had started earlier and had lots of kids that were still there. And it happened, like I said, very quickly. And there was not a lot of time to get information out. So I ended up going to our local fairgrounds where I knew people would be evacuated to with some colleagues of mine who made it out quickly. We met the cars full of teachers with full of kids in them. I mean, there were teachers with lots of kids in their cars that had just get in, load them up and driven them down and principals. And I think we had about 200 or 220 kids, um, high school and intermediate and elementary, just coming out of teachers' cars down there at the fairgrounds evacuating. Wow. And I have family members who lost homes. My mother-in-law and my sister-in-law both did. And during the evacuation, I told my sister-in-law, she has three young kids, my nieces and nephews, two seven-year-olds and a nine-year-old. I said, come to my house, just come right now and just come stay with us. We didn't know everybody was going to lose their homes. We thought we've had a lot of fires before where we'd have to evacuate and then you can go back the next day. You know, that's what everybody kind of thought this was going to be. And it just developed so quickly. So she got her kids and came to my house and... We put her in my 14-year-old son's bedroom, she and her husband, and we didn't know anything for a couple of days about their house, but we could see on the news, like, their local elementary school completely engulfed, and it was different than other fires. We could see that it was really tearing up the whole entire town. So this is where the intermittent fasting comes in. It's interesting because those first three days, I realized I just ate when I needed to eat. I didn't even think about it, and I didn't eat most of the time. And so on. I think on the fourth day, my poor sister-in-law, I realized what I was doing when her friend brought her a bunch of groceries to my house because I realized I hadn't been feeding these people at all. <laughs> like I hadn't even thought of it. We were so engulfed in finding all my students and my colleagues and figuring out what was going on. And we had the stomach flu run through our house. Three of the kids in our home, we had five kids in the house at that time, got the stomach flu. and It was very hectic. So on the fourth day when she had her friend bring her groceries, I realized, oh shoot, I haven't been feeding these poor people. I felt terrible. And she already felt she was imposing by staying with us. She didn't want to ask, but I hadn't even noticed because I was just eating very minimally because I didn't need it. My body just kept going. It was really amazing. Because, you know, you were used to intermittent fasting, but you weren't even thinking about food. You were just in the moment. Yeah. And up to that day, I was using the windowed app. I'm a very like routine and organized person and I like those kinds of things. And so I looked back recently and it's November 7th. I had tracked and November 8th, all the way for a long time, there was nothing. You know, I quit looking at the groups. I wasn't looking at any of that. I was really focused and kind of obsessed with the survival mode. You were in survival mode. You went through a dramatic tragedy. Exactly. And I was really worried about my families and my students. Oh, yeah. It was so smoky here. It was really traumatic. My husband was gone on a hunting trip is the other thing. He was in Ohio. (laughs) And so he was not a part of any of it. I was here with my kids by myself and my sister-in-law and her husband and all the kids. And it was really hard. And it was so smoky that it was like night at noon. We couldn't see anything. It was pitch black and freezing cold. The weather app said it was supposed to be 70 degrees that day. And it was like 32 Wow. Because the smoke was so thick and it was just snowing ash. And I just kept thinking like, this is the ash of everybody I know's home and the buildings and our schools. A lot of schools were burned. It was really awful. I'm so amazed that none of your students lost their lives. And that is just no. incredible. There were even like school buses of second graders with a few teachers on board. It took them, I think, nine hours to get down off the ridge and Kids were falling asleep from the smoke. I mean, some of the stories are just 
incredible. Our local hospital was threatened and part of it burned. And there was a woman having a cesarean like open on the table when they called for the evacuation and they stitched her up and handed her a baby and put her in a car and she got off. But I mean, it's incredible. Some of the stories that came out of it, it was very dramatic and 86 lives were lost, which is a lot. It's the most in a California disaster, but the amount that could have been lost had it happened in the middle of the night or had people not acted the way they did, like the nurses at the hospital, the teachers, the law enforcement officials were really absolute heroes that day. It's amazing. That really is amazing. So how long did it take before you could start having school again? What happened at your school? What happened to your school? Yeah, well, the first few days we didn't know what happened. We thought it burned because everybody evacuating saw flames there and all the shrubs were on fire as they drove out. And so about, I think, the third or fourth day we found out it did not burn. Our school was behind a big church and there was a large parking lot. And we had just had parents do a bunch of clearing of shrubs and put down some gravel. So we had a lot of defensible space around our school. So I went back three days after the fire with a group from the county to look at some of the schools and and survey the damage and get some things out that we needed to, you know, like technology that might be looted or whatever. I was amazed to see the fire burn literally to the back wall of my classroom and it did not burn. We did lose a pump house well building and there was some damage, but our building is standing where the elementary school where my kids went that's been there for a long time is completely gone. I mean, this fire burns so hot that there's nothing left. It's just not even barely ash. There's like nails. It's not like gutted buildings. It's just flat gone. It's incredible. But yeah, trudging through the ash and the smoke in those few days after, I continued to just eat when I could. Like sometimes it was a working lunch. We had a lot of people come from outside the area wanting to help like state agencies and associations and things. And everybody was providing lunches all the time. So I would go to these meetings about what are we going to do and how do we help? And we'd have lunch, but then I just wouldn't have dinner. So I, without thinking about it, I continued with intermittent fasting throughout and people started getting sick. Everybody started getting sick just from, I think that emotional trauma and how draining it was, plus being in close quarters, a lot of things were going around. And I did get a pretty bad sinus infection just from breathing the smoke, but I never ended up getting any of the flus going around. And it's amazing because I wasn't sleeping, (laughs) you know, I was really barely functioning. And I feel like really intermittent fasting pulled me through it and gave me the energy I needed to get through it. So, Well, that's why I wanted you to tell your story because no one wants to go through what your community has gone through. Right. But it it really helped you to get through it and just do what you needed to do to get things done. Like I keep coming back to it, it allowed me to be present and to be focused and to not be distracted by having to think about food. Here's the really weird thing. Okay, the night of the fire, the last kid was picked up from that evacuation center at midnight that night. So there were kids there waiting to meet up with their parents until midnight that night. I left earlier because I had my kids I had to think about my evacuated family. And I got home and we had planned to have a big family early Thanksgiving dinner that weekend. And I realized that wasn't going to happen. I had all this food from that. So my sister-in-law cooked a huge dinner that first night, like ham and mashed potatoes and Brussels sprouts and all this stuff. And I was thinking later, I'm like, what were we thinking doing that? But we cooked this one big meal and I brought it to a bunch of people in my neighborhood and it left us a few leftovers, but that was really the only focus on food I had for the, maybe since the fire has happened (laughs) until now, you know? Yeah. So I know people are going to want to know if there's any way they can help. Y'all probably been inundated with things like that, but is there any way people can help? 
That's been a tough question because everybody has been impacted by this. Our entire county has been impacted because the schools locally have absorbed all of these kids. And my students are spread out now all over the state. Right now, we're about nine weeks past the event, and we have people in hotels still, many living in RVs, many living with family with no idea where to go. My school honestly is small and very nimble and we're very united. We've been together a long time. And this is sort of a shocking fact, but we have five people who did not lose their home teaching at my school. Many of the schools in Paradise in the community that burned had all of their staff lose their homes. One teacher, our secretary and our principal did, but the rest of the staff didn't. So we've been a little more nimble. In the first weeks between Thanksgiving and Christmas, we had class in a gym. That was the only place available for us because the city of Chico has absorbed all these people and all these schools, and there's just not that many buildings for the entire school district to go into. So each of us had like a bleacher section, and I had my sixth graders, and we would sit on a rug, and we did a lot of crafting and finger knitting and things like that, because not a lot of teaching can happen in a gym when the next bleacher section has classes happening. And, you know, it was pretty wild. But as far as what people can do to help, I recommend visiting the North Valley Community Foundation if you'd like to make a monetary donation. They're managing the large funds and organizations like my school can write grants to them and get what we need. Initially, people were bringing a lot of things, food and clothing, and it got very overwhelming because none of these people had anywhere to put anything. And it was well-meaning, but it was very hard because we don't have a lot of space to put things. And so people do have Amazon wish lists and things like that out there. But the best way is just to go through North Valley Community Foundation. They have a website. Well, thank you for sharing that because, you know, we don't think about that. You know, you've been displaced. You've lost everything you own. Where are you going to put a bunch of donations? Right. And and it's funny, too, the value of things has shifted so much in our county and the kids, too. The kids are like kind of tired of getting new things. It's funny. They don't want anything else new. They, They don't even want any things because their focus is on their family and a home and their school. And that's it. They just want some sense of normalcy. It's different than when just one house burns. When an entire community burns, every single routine is removed from these kids' lives. Like their daily commute, where they go after school, their neighborhood, all of it is displaced. And when a kid has a really bad day, you know, something horrible happens, usually they get to go home to their mom and cry and go in their own bed and lay down and go to bed. Well, all of that's been removed. You know, they still have their families, but... Kids have had to just like the day of the evacuation, they took off to another town and never came back and didn't get to say goodbye. They haven't had a chance to mourn it yet. And so that's kind of where we're at right now. We're still in ground zero, really, where people are finding places to live and beginning to mourn what they've lost and and be appreciative. Shortly after the fire, we were in our gym doing schoolwork and a seventh grader had this real cute sweater on. And I said, oh, what a cute sweater you have. And her comment was funny. She goes, yeah, I know. It's a hand-me-down. It's not even new. It was like that was sweet that a hand-me-down and something old is so valued because everything they have is new now, you know. And the community will never look the same again. The landmark, the the buildings. Our entire county is going to be changed. It was a very wooded, forested area. And I've heard so far they've already removed 30,000 trees. So. Wow. There, it's a lot of work. It's going to be, it's going to be a long process. I heard the estimate about 8 million tons of debris that needs to be removed. And then where do you put that? And. Right. 
So y'all are still in the cleanup process and not the rebuilding process yet. Oh, we haven't even started the cleaning process. Right. I mean, I did. Oh, okay. we're still in the process where they're trying to investigate properties and make sure there's no propane tanks that are going to blow. I mean, we're still in the very, very beginning. I mean, I don't think any rebuilding will happen for quite some time. I mean, everybody has estimates, but I'll tell you, everybody's working really hard. And there are schools meeting in commercial buildings right now in we had a hardware store go out of business and there's a local intermediate school meeting in between the aisles. That's where we're at today. <laughs> you know, we're very much displaced. My school, we found a wonderful charter school that was willing to vacate some classrooms for us. So I have an actual classroom. We've been back in school just a week and I got to do real teaching. It was amazing. So. Oh, that's great. So how many of the kids are there with y'all now at your school? Like what percentage? My school, we've retained a large amount of students and we've only lost, I want to say like out of our 155, we've probably lost maybe eight permanently. But I think that's hopeful because like I said, people are commuting from an hour and a half away every day currently. Many are still in hotels. I think that as this all pans out, we probably will have to lose more just because people aren't going to be able to maintain this. They're trying to just grasp onto any sense of normalcy they can right now. And they're working really hard to stay close by, but it may not be realistic in the long term. Yeah, because they have to live somewhere long term. Right. And they've got to figure out what they're going to do as far as the property up there goes. And there's a lot to consider. We don't quite know where we're going to be next year either. We're just sort of dealing with next week. <laughs> you know. Right, right. That makes sense. If you're constantly on the hunt for a good deal, then you need Rakuten. Rakuten is the smartest way to save money when you shop because members get cash back at over 3,500 stores across every category, including fashion, beauty, electronics, home essentials, traveling, dining, and more. You're already shopping at your favorite stores. Why not save while you're doing it? It's a no-brainer. Get the Rakuten app now and join the 17 million members who are already saving. Cashback rates change daily. See Rakuten.com for details. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Your cash back really adds up. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. So throughout all of this, what intermittent fasting pattern have you kind of settled into now? It took me through the Christmas holiday. Well, we had the whole Thanksgiving and Christmas holiday during all of this. And so, as you know, for everybody, your intermittent fasting pattern changes during those times. Like I said, I didn't pay attention to it during the disaster, but I continued intermittent fasting. I'd say I probably had a five-hour window during the real tragedy and trauma. Then I would say that once I started kind of like emotionally calming down a bit, I started paying a little more attention and the holidays were happening. I let myself have some bigger windows of eight hours or so during holidays and all that. Now that holidays are over, I'm back to a probably 21-3 average, sometimes more, sometimes less. But that's what I tend to like. I don't like to eat real late in the evening. So I usually stop eating around 7, 7.30 at the latest. I tend to get home and eat between 4.30 and 6.30 is when I open my window. My son's in basketball at high school level. And so his games are in the evenings. And so that'll shift it around a bit. But I'm pretty flexible that way. I eat in the evenings, three hours maybe. 
yeah, I think that that's really probably my sweet spot as well. Something like about a two and a half to five hour window that's flexible depending on what we're doing. The cool thing is too that I mentioned my husband and I, food is like a celebration for us and food is a something we very much enjoy and we enjoy cooking together. With intermittent fasting, we're still able to completely enjoy that. When he's off, I sit at the counter while he cooks and we talk and we enjoy a nice snack. We've been enjoying lately um, fermented vegetables, like I don't know what you call it, but the cauliflower that's pickled with carrots, you know, you buy it at the store. Olives yeah. and maybe a little salami and cheese, but we don't eat a lot because we find it gets us too full if we eat a big snack and then dinner. But we'll have a little something while we're cooking so we're not just famished when the food comes. And we still eat really nice, beautiful food. I'd say we enjoy it probably more, but we don't think about it as much in the time that we're not eating. We aren't planning for it that much. So have your tastes in food changed at all? I already sort of liked more whole food, but I would say even though I did like more whole foods, yes, they have changed. I love roasted vegetables so much. Brussels sprouts roasted with like a balsamic drizzle on them. That is one of my all-time favorite things to eat now. (laughs) We eat that all the time. And my husband's tastes definitely have changed. He was a big time dessert eater and he definitely liked more processed foods and he really craves more whole foods now. And so that's been both of us. And it's interesting, my kids each eat healthfully, I've realized, just because that's what we have in the house. They will make like a smoothie with kale or something in it, which I would never see them doing before. And it's just because that's what we've got around. Yeah, I think that's important. You know, as your tastes shift, you buy different things and you provide different things. And less snacks. We have less snacks in the house, a lot less snacks. And so not granola bars and my kids will grab a handful of almonds instead, just because that's what we've got around. Oh, that's great. Yeah, we used to have all that like cereal and stuff around. And then, you know, as we stopped snacking on it ourselves, we stopped buying it. Well, it's been funny through this, the fire disaster too. The food people are bringing is that kind of stuff. It's a lot of like bag cereals and for our kids at, at school and the kids, they don't really want all that, you know, but I think it's because that's what's preserved well, which is sort of scary and sad to think that all the chemicals in it is what makes it easy to bring to these kind of disaster relief things. That is true. I volunteered at the local food pantry over the summer and I spent a day volunteering or a few hours one day and you're right. That food pantry, it was just sorting the processed food. And cans and yeah, bags of cereal. One group brought us like six boxes of individually bagged little bags of kind of fruity cereal or whatever. And it, I mean, we still have a bunch of it sitting around because the kids don't really want it, you know. Yeah, that's so interesting. But yeah, everything was everything had an expiration date. So we had to check the expiration date and then exactly. you know, group it based on what type of processed food it was. And yeah, that was very eye-opening. A lot of the centers, that's the kind of things being offered because realistically, I'd say probably like close to 50,000 people were evacuated and some have gone back to their homes, but most of them are still not. So if you think about feeding that many people, it's really hard to provide fresh food. But the local businesses were absolutely incredible. We had so many businesses offering free meals to people in restaurants and the support has just been incredible from all around the country. It's been great. That's great to hear. So tell again one more time the name of that foundation that if people want to look for it, they can. It's called the North Valley Community Foundation. And all of the big donors have kind of combined their funds there. Like Aaron Rodgers, the football player from the Green Bay Packers, grew up in this area. And he actually lived in Paradise and went to high school in Chico. And he donated a million dollars to the fund and has raised more And then Ken Grossman, who owns and runs Sierra Nevada Brewing Company, he has donated a massive amount of money. There's this resilience beer campaign out where 
their brewery made a resilience beer and all the sales, not just profits, the sales are being donated to the fund. It goes really deep back because he challenged other breweries to brew this beer as well. And so almost 1,500 breweries across the country have brewed this beer, Resilience. So if you see Resilience beer in your community at any brewery, all the 100% of sales are going to help support our community. And the hop growers and the grain growers and even the rail cars, the trains hauling the grains to the breweries have all donated the materials and time to go toward this beer. So that's another way to support locally. That's wonderful. And you can drink beer and support the community at the same time, right? That's a win-win. But I'm a huge beer fan and I'm a home brewer and I drink my beer in my window when I feel like it and I enjoy it. Right, right. So you can do it. You can be a beer lover and intermittent fast. Just delay. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So have you and your husband experienced any positive health changes other than just the, you know, the weight loss? Yeah, definitely. My husband has dramatically. I mean, like I said, he had very high blood pressure, scary, scary high. And he wasn't really monitoring his blood pressure through the process. I wish he had been, but we were, like I said, we're busy with life. And he took his blood pressure fairly recently and was just shocked at how he's completely in the normal range now. And he's not on any medications whatsoever. And he was also type 2 diabetic and borderline, but he's not in that margin anymore. And then for me, it's been things like my skin and my eyelashes and my hair. It's just crazy how much just healthier and fuller and thicker my hair is. And my eyelashes is a weird one that I've noticed. My eyelashes are longer. (laughs) So my skin is clearer. Other ailments, like I always had trouble with my feet, my feet always hurting because of teaching. And I think just carrying the extra weight, I had some plantar fasciitis that would happen and things. And I have completely had no pain in my feet at all since I've lost the weight. So that's been wonderful. Yeah, that's a big one for teachers. We're always on our feet and all those years trying to find the shoes that would make a difference. The shoes are very big, finding the right shoes. And I'm finding now I'm able to wear the cute, like flat, no support, whatever shoes I never could wear before because I'm not having quite the same issues I was, you know, when I had the extra 40 pounds on. Oh, that was the other part I wanted to mention about the fire that was shocking is I wasn't paying attention at all to either what I was eating or when I was eating at all. I I knew I was still intermittent fasting just because I had no time to eat, but I wasn't like tracking or monitoring. And I'd say about maybe five weeks after the fire, I did finally weigh myself and I had gotten to my goal weight. (laughs) I'd lost 10 pounds. It was like, congratulations on that. Yeah, it was, I was blown away. I was like, are you kidding? I thought for sure I'd, you know, who knows, stayed the same or maybe gained a few pounds, but I'd lost another 10 pounds without even thinking about it. And the goal weight I picked was 158. And the only reason I picked it is because that was the lowest weight I ever remember being on my driver's license. So I think I was 18 or so when I was that weight. And I have not weighed that in a very long time. And well, congratulations. I've maintained it. Yeah. I, mean, I think I'm at 156 this morning. So, you know. Awesome. Yeah. And I don't know if I'm going to lose any more weight or not. I think I'm probably just maintaining now, but I'm kind of not putting that much energy into the weight and thinking more of the health and the, the feeling I get from just eating in a smaller window. And this is just how you live now. Exactly. It's just it lifestyle. Great. Yeah. So um, we are really almost out of time, which I can't believe this time goes by so fast. Yeah. So I like to end with you giving the advice that you would like to tell someone who's just starting out with intermittent fasting or what do you wish you knew or what would you tell someone who's just starting out? I would just recommend just being very patient with yourself and just really opening your mind up to the idea that this is much more than about weight and about food. It's it's really about 
living your life to the best capacity you can and about having control over much more than just what you eat. It's about having control over how you feel and about, you know, how you go about your day. And that's a really valuable thing to have control over. And so I just want to tell new people that it's completely worth it. And I know in the Facebook groups, people always say, trust the process. And people get very tired of hearing that, <laughs> but it's more of just believe in it, you know, believe that it's worth it. And you'll see in time that it comes to be true because when you truly reach appetite correction and you do have control over thinking about food and the way you feel about food and when you eat, it really, really impacts all the facets of your life and your health. And it just carries over into ways you never dreamed of. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think I will get to the point where I'm willing to share with people. I just think I don't necessarily have the knowledge base that I'm willing to go out there and I don't have the research in my pocket. So when people ask, I do refer them to your book and to Jason Fung and I give them a brief version of what I've done. But I think that's going to be the next step for me is feeling a little more comfortable, you know, sharing with people who are interested. And I think that's a legitimate way to do it. Like, you don't have to know all the science and everything about it. Just say, you know, there's a lot of research going on. The 2016 Nobel Prize in medicine was related to autophagy, which is increased when you're fasting. But here's some things you can read if you want to know more about it and just kind of shift it to them. I like to refer the podcast to your this one and the one you do with Melanie because I just think these podcasts just ooze positivity. <laughs> For me, I didn't listen to podcasts through the trauma. I was listening before, but I couldn't do it. My mind couldn't focus and I just I couldn't do it. But in the weeks since Christmas, I've started listening again and it's like listening to a self-help tape or I don't know how to say it. It's like listening to a positive meditation or something every day because of the way that people talk about it and the way they feel. You just, you can feel the positive vibe coming from them. It's amazing. That's what I've loved the most about doing this podcast. I love the other podcast too, and I love answering the questions, but I love hearing from every person with a different story. Exactly. And that intermittent fasting is affecting them It's more than just the health benefits and the weight benefits even. It's just, it carries over to all aspects of our lives. And it's almost like we're the person we always wanted to be. And I don't know, that sounds cheesy. but No, that's what I think it is though. (laughs) I think it opens you up to the best potential that you could be. And it allows you to kind of share that positivity with others. And I think maybe it's the autophagy. Maybe it's just that we all feel so much better that we're able to just be our real true selves or something. And we're not obsessed with what to eat, when to eat it. Should I read all these new diet books? You know, we're, we're done with that. So we're like, all right now, what am I doing? Exactly. Yeah. It's wonderful. Well, Amy, thank you so much for talking to me today. And I'm so glad that intermittent fasting helped you through such a a tragedy in your life. Yeah. And I want to thank you for putting, you know, all of your good energy out there and bringing the people on because it has really, it really has helped me during this time. So thanks for having me on. It's been wonderful. All right. Thank you. Do you have an intermittent fasting story to tell? Email me at jen at intermittentfastingstories.com and I'll add you to the lineup. That's G-I-N at intermittentfastingstories.com. The world wants to hear your story. That's it for today. Remember, I may have a doctorate, but I'm not a medical doctor. So don't use anything you hear on this podcast as a substitute for medical advice. Please always check with your doctor or healthcare provider if you have medical questions. I'll talk to you next week, Fasting Family, where we will hear another inspiring story. Have a great week and fast on.
Intermittent Fasting Stories is edited, mixed, and mastered by Resonate Recordings. To learn more, visit them at ResonateRecordings.com or email them at hello at ResonateRecordings.com. Intermittent Fasting Stories listeners will receive a free offer if you mention that you heard it on the podcast.